Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Special shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. My guest today is a doctoral student at Teachers College, Columbia University, an adjunct professor at Hunter College, and assistant manager at Brooklyn Poets. An educator, poet, spoken word artist, and activist, he writes poems about grief, liberation, emancipation, reflection through the lens of a teacher of color and experiencing black boy joy. It is my honor and privilege to welcome my friend Darius Phelps to the show. Darius, thank you so much for joining me. No, of course, man. Thank you for having me. It's, it's truly a blessing to be here. So thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. For the audience, a little context. I talked about it two episodes ago on our first episode of July, but you and I connected. I said on Instagram, but that might have been LinkedIn. Was it Instagram or LinkedIn? Do you remember? It's a good question. I was thinking about that earlier, too, because I figured you were going to ask <laughs> or mention it. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I feel like most of my like people like become like good close friends that I meet via social media. Like I forget how we meet. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Oh. Um, I, I feel like it may have been Instagram and then maybe LinkedIn. I don't know. I'm not active on LinkedIn, so I don't want to give LinkedIn sure. credit. <laughs> okay, that makes life. sense. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe I feel like maybe it was, it was probably Instagram. Okay. Well, regardless, we started to engage with each other's content, had some really good conversations, had a couple calls where we had some really good conversation as well. And then when I was in New York at the beginning of May, we actually got to meet in person finally for the first time and had a wonder, one of my, one of my, one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had meeting someone in person for the very first time. It was everything that we had talked about and more and kind of what we were going to talk about today a little bit where just two dudes getting vulnerable being open with each other and i was super emotional which is par for the course for me so really excited to be able to have you on the show today and just want to thank you again for the privilege of your time and your energy and your wisdom uh, as we dive into this conversation today so i know i introduced you just a little bit but for anybody who might be listening who doesn't know who you are do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself yeah, of course. I don't mind. This is where it gets a little awkward. I think I would be used to doing this by now. Um, <laughs> but I was like, how do I describe myself to other people? Um, I say, you know, first of all, I would just say I am a, I'm a poet. I think that's been a long time coming to me identifying with that. So I would say if I were to die today, Michael, like, I wouldn't be known as, I would say out of everything, I'm a poet, I'm an educator, um, and I'm just a big ball of emotions, I would say, but in a good way, not like in a bad way. Right. I feel like, you know, that'll lead to our topic later, but I feel like I, I don't know, I've been told by one of my friends, she was like, you know, I would call you a renaissance man. So maybe mm. I'll start owning that title too. Um, yeah, I'm a doctoral student at Teachers College, like you said. Um, I was an early childhood educator for about 13 years. Uh, recently just started adjuncting as I'm finishing up my PhD. Um, yeah, and I'm just a... Uh, Lover, not a fighter, I guess you would say. Less necessary. <laughs> I, would, I would agree with that. Having met you and having had these conversations before, I feel like that's a, an apt description of yourself, for sure. Um, you said that your friend said it calls you a renaissance man. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about that? What, 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 is, what does that encapsulate? That's a good question to you. Another good point. Um, I really think about the context of why she called me that a few years ago. I think, for me, it ties back into my drive. Um, for me, a lot of that comes from my upbringing. I was raised by my mom, you know, single parent, 
female raising a young mm-hmm. black boy. And I know one thing that she has always done and does to this day is she is like the epitome of what I see as like a true leader, mm. a hustler, and that woman can like make things happen out of nowhere. I don't know how sure. she does it. So I think that's influenced a lot of my my drive, whether that be in academia or just even just doing things that people normally tell me I can't. I know one phrase I started really making my motto or my mantra back in like I think it was around 2017 was the impossible is possible. Because um, I've always been in situations, unfortunately, where I'm really like the underdog or the one who is underestimated. Sure. And I think that's where the Renaissance Man title comes from. I know for sure uh, my story and how I came into the world was not necessarily, well, it's not necessarily one that is, I was going to say positive. I guess the outlook was not positive because I was born premature. Uh, mm. came up almost three, month, three months early, one pound, 13 ounces. So I've known as the miracle baby in my family. Like they did not expect me to live. And if I did live, I was either going to be, you know, have severe difficulties or, you know, either being blind, being dead, both. Um, yeah, I know like, flatlined twice before I actually came out of the hospital. So mm. yeah, um, there's like a walking testimony, I guess I would say. So I guess it's where the Renaissance man title comes from. It's like my whole journey throughout life. It's constantly facing obstacles and trials and tribulations, but I, somehow I come out on top and I owe that, you know, to my faith, uh, to my mom, really instead of me to keep fighting, even when you really feel like you can't go on. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, I think the crux of our conversation is around, you know, reclaiming our narratives, but specifically as men of color. Can you right. add a little more context to how that, like your origin story, essentially, when you realized that you needed to one, reclaim your narrative and two, that poetry and that words, specifically language, writing was going to be the avenue that you used to do that? God, that eh? mm. Uh, there was like a huge shift in my life 10 years ago when I lost my grandfather. So not knowing my biological father, um, because he left when I was six months old, that was the only male father figure mm. I had. And it was a decade. It's been a decade, uh, last week, actually, the 21st. So I feel like back then, I just feel like all hell broke loose in my life. Like I'm grieving for the first time. I'm losing someone that was super close to me. Um, I was fortunate to do a TEDx talk, um, in 2017 about our story. So that was like my first way of putting my origin story out there or starting to. Mm. Uh, but I feel, I tell everyone grief changed my life. Um, I know a lot of people, when they hear that phrase, they think it's always negative, but it's not. Right. And I feel like after passing that like decade anniversary, I can really look back in a way to look back and like celebrate all that we've had, all that we still have, the memories. Um, and that's kind of where beginning to tell my origin story came from is when he died. I had always written uh, poetry since about mm. middle school. Um, I think it's one thing we talk about too, is like the person that inspired me to write poetry in middle school was Tableau of Epic High. And I feel like he's like one of the most top-notch lyricists, poets, producers, I mean, men of, man of color ever. I feel like mm. that was the first person I saw as a man of color to openly talk about suffering with mental health issues, clinical depression, being vulnerable, embracing that but also how to rise through your pain into your joy sure so that's kind of like what inspired the poet part of me so when my grandfather died i started writing poetry as only i knew to kind of cope with my grief uh, because my grandfather died in my arms and it was not one of those like quiet peaceful deaths it was one where it's like the 
raspy voice, like the gasp and like the eyes roll in the back of the head. So like that triggered me with having insomnia the past decade, um, spiked my depression, um, things like that. So that's where the poetry came into effect. And then as he died, I was moving up in my career as an early childhood educator. And I started out in birth to five, which is pretty rare, especially for a man of color. And I started teaching right out the bat when I was 18. So it's been th- you know th- 13 years. Um, and I've always been the youngest one in this white woman dominated field. Um, so that is where I started to feel like the outcast, the underdog. And then when I started to rise in my career and I, I got teacher of the year, my first year as a lead teacher, that was something that never happened at my first job site. Um, it would spark a lot of jealousy and hatred and it would come out of nowhere. And all this is happening in the midst of me grieving internally. And I'm not sure how to express it. Um, and not to keep shamelessly plugging myself, but like the TED Talk, I talk about how working with kids during that time, mm-hmm. one child in particular, like saved my life. And I still, that's still true to this day. If like, if I was not dealing with kids in some aspect, I think that is where the emotional regulation and the vulnerability piece comes in. Cause I feel like being around kids brings you back to your inner child. Right. And it helps you kind of like free yourself and gives you the strength and the courage to really speak out and share your story. Cause seeing how connecting with them been that rapport can help shape and mold them in ways that maybe you know men of color like i know i personally didn't have as a kid sure having someone be that open and honest the only person that would do that with me was my grandfather but he didn't do that with everyone else right he just had this like you know very intimate connection and i feel like with all this kind of happening at one time as i started to heal i was like okay now that i know the power of telling my narrative, how can I use that to pay it forward to inspire others? Because as you know, the statistics show we're the ones who are dying, killing each other. And we're always known as the angry colored men or the angry, you know, and it's just like, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your diaspora is. We're always fueled in anger. There's never talks about how we can just channel that rage into something positive. Right. Or first off, even addressing why the hell we're angry in the first place. Right. And so that's where I started using poetry as an outlet. And I'm not going to lie. A lot of my poetry is dark as hell. Like I read that stuff and I'm just like, yeah, I should probably go (laughs) schedule a point with my therapist. Um, So, but I feel like even just owning that and acknowledging that, yeah, there is rage inside me. There is anger. There's emotional abandonment. There's trauma. But how can I use, first off, how can I want to address that? So it's not manifesting in negative ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not hurting other people. How can I first start within myself, heal myself? And uh, that's where I started really, as I started writing more, I was like, okay, excavation leads to emancipation. Because as you excavate these these feelings, no matter what they are, it's like, I mean, I'm a Scorpio, so my (laughs) Phoenix is my sign anyway. But I kind of feel like that's my journey as a man of color. It's like, I'm, learning how to properly rise from my ashes. I really appreciate you sharing all of that context. And I think it's really important for the conversation we're about to have about what it means to reclaim that narrative, not even just as part of a larger diaspora, but as an individual. And because we all have such unique, different lived experiences, even if we come from those same diasporas or the same communities, 
And mm-hmm. without the context, things can get lost in translation. Things can be misconstrued. And it's important for us to have that in order to really kind of understand what it is that we're trying to reclaim in the first place, which is specifically our own stories. And really quickly before we jump in, um, you sent me an article that you've been working on or that you just wrote recently. And that excavation is emancipation is literally one of the things, the first things that I wrote down while I was going through it. And so I love that. I really appreciate you sharing that with us and the audience here and can't wait for in the future them to be able to potentially take in that article as well. So I feel like, again, our own lived experiences give us these unique perspectives into what it means to do whatever work that we're involved in. And so for this conversation around what it means to reclaim our narrative as men of color, what have you seen is missing from that particular conversation? Vulnerability. I think even being raised in a old Southern Baptist household, you know, with my grandparents at the head of the house, I know, like, I was always taught from my grandma, like, pray about it and let it go, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's just like, sure, that's intergenerational trauma itself, because right. you are just, up, you're raised to just, like, throw things under the rug, and you right. never address it. And I feel like that's missing across the board, even just, like, in relationships. Let's just tiptoe around each other and never address what it is that we feel. Let's right. not honor our feelings or even try to learn to be more perceptive and take a step back and be like, okay, I may not understand what it is that you're feeling, but I want to understand. So I, I will listen. I will hear you out. I will listen and try to see where you're coming from, even if I don't agree with it. And I feel like with us as men of color, like we're not, you don't hear people talk about how men of color can heal. Sure. It's always the violence. It's always the death toll and you know what we did wrong what about right. the things that we do right and how can we help those of us that are struggling reach that path and though excavation leads to emancipation that's when i really started thinking too is um you know a rarity in the field a man of color especially you know a teacher of color in early childhood and i'm in my classrooms i'm you know running into these young boys who are just so goddamn angry and they just, they can't express it. They don't know where it comes from. And, you know, mm-hmm. how do you unpack that? And that's where I started really trying to be creative in my classrooms and tying in things like social learning, but also narrative testimonies. Mm. That's one thing I talk about in the article, too. It's just like, if you're angry, talk about it. If you don't know where it's coming from, keep writing until you find something that just clicks. Right. And, and once that click or the flip of the switch happens don't stop Mm. and just kind of letting that flow and embracing who you are and being proud of that like there are parts of me that i am not proud of but i've learned to acknowledge it and to honor it in some kind of way and that's where the narrative testimony and the poetry comes out sure because i'm looking at myself it's like looking in a mirror i see all the parts of me the ugly parts of me and i'm learning to love them as i write I mean, I agree with them, <laughs> but yeah. I love them for who they are and the parts that they play in my journey that they continue to play as I grow. Well, you're like uncovering your full humanity. You know, like you yeah. said, we're only portrayed men of color. And I'll say specifically black men are portrayed mm-hmm. as angry, as violent, as broken. And mm-hmm. then when that's reinforced over and over again within media, within news or entertainment, 
you know, we end up with a one-sided narrative of what it means to be a black man. And so mm-hmm. I, re- I appreciate you naming vulnerability as being this piece that we need to be focused on. How do, but how do men of color approach vulnerability? How do we get to that point? And maybe a first question might be, can you define vulnerability for the listeners? Because I feel like, and I, I, it's, I think it's subjective, but I think that vulnerability has become a word that we hear a lot, but I don't think we hear the definition of vulnerability. I think we hear the demand to be vulnerable. So I'm wondering if you can, if you can share what, how you define vulnerability and then how we really get to that first step and then move forward. Yeah. You kind of hit the nail on the head with this. Um, I think really how I would define vulnerability is strength in honoring your emotions. Mm. I think a lot of times when we hear the word, hear the word vulnerability, it's kind of just like, say what you feel, express yourself, but it's not really saying different or the many ways of how you can express yourself. Right. Because, uh, you know, everybody wants, society wants us to be more, be vulnerable, be open. But if we start crying, we're labeled as, you know, oh, he's being a bitch. You know, it's right. just like, so... You want to be vulnerable. I say strengthen honoring your emotions, whether that is crying profusely. Sure. Whether that is learning how to meditate, whether that's finding some kind of freedom of expression, that's vulnerability. I think of people like like Kendrick Lamar, who openly shares all that he feels. Like his last latest album is talking about grief and how, Mm -hmm. you know, he opens up with like chanting, I was going through something, like expressing that and saying, Openly admitting, I'm going through something. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I need help. And that's one thing I feel like as men of color, we're not allowed to say, I need help. And if we do say we need help, it's at a point to where we're automatically chastised and viewed as too far gone. Yeah. And the people who, you know, they always are saying, be open, be honest, be vulnerable. But they're the first ones to judge us when we do open up. So I think really that vulnerability piece is strength and honoring those emotions and really just being non-judgmental when someone shares their truth because sure. their tr- you know it goes back into the ugly truth there's right. nothing about being vulnerable that's pretty i mean yeah a hundred percent i mean we can view it as quote unquote pretty you know we can find right. the beauty within the vulnerability mm-hmm. but generally the vulnerable parts of that we're sharing are those damaged broken emotional pieces that we're trying to put back together we're trying to fit the puzzle together of our own souls essentially of our own humanity um how do so you talked about like once you start trying to find that don't stop until you do and then when you do find it don't stop then can you talk about can you share maybe a piece of advice or an example of how you even get to the starting line of i'm going to start writing and trying to uncover that I think it's sitting with yourself. I think a lot of times, you know, we're not taught to sit with our emotions and really reflect. That's something that we're not really taught how to do. Um, One thing I've been studying lately is Buddhism. Like how can meditation and reflection and healing your inner child, where does that come from? And it comes with sitting with yourself. It's literally like looking at yourself in a mirror Mm -hmm. and being willing to stare yourself in the eyes and be like, what is this? showing me what am i showing myself what are the damaged pieces of myself and it's not just saying oh it needs to be healed it's just really looking at it 
and picking up like a puzzle piece and seeing all the ragged, jagged pieces. Right. And honoring that. And I feel like that is a starting point. And then eventually as you appreciate your broken pieces, you can get to the joy. But right. one thing I've been really thinking about too is like to grieve is to unearth joy because you have to really get through that rebirth process. And it's not easy, but it starts with yourself. And sometimes right. it's not going to be your inner circle that is the one that forced you to do it. It's sometimes all those people have to disappear and you're sure. left by yourself. <laughs> and you're like, okay, all I have is myself. A lot of times people just fall by the wayside. You think you have this true support system in it. Right. Kinda going through hard times shows you who your real friends are. And right. sometimes the cold, hard, ugly truth is that it's motherfucking nobody. It's <laughs> you and yourself. And that's where the excavation part comes from and unfortunately it does come from one of the most hurtful painful places sometimes that excavation piece it's more painful than losing a loved one sure because it feels like grief is kind of portrayed as being about the person or the thing that you've lost Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily about oh i need to think sit with that feeling and think about Mm -hmm. how that's affecting me because when we think about the I, it's very seems very selfish generally when people right. talk about it. And it's not necessarily like in context with with the context of why you're sitting with that uh, with yourself and you're focusing on that emotion. It's because you want to understand where this is coming from, where that pain is. How do you not necessarily heal, but how mm-hmm. do you understand that? So that way you can move with it as opposed to moving against it or moving past right. it because mm-hmm. you can go you can get past stuff. But like you said. When you move past something, it's like you throw it under the rug. You're kind of right. you kind of want to forget about it, but that's not that's not an excavation. That's a mm-hmm. I don't know whatever the opposite of excavation is, where you're just covering the hole up, uh, filling the hole in. Um, and I think that I love what you said. Like sometimes your inner circle is not going to be the people to help you get to that point. And I think that's a great segue into this next question because a lot of this is coming from we don't have models and communities of color of men being vulnerable showing vulnerability and being willing to do the excavation in order to emancipate themselves in that way right and so like we as this next generation and the generation and not to say that we are the ones that started this but are building on the the folks who have been doing that um we have to continue to model what that looks like for the generations that follow us Mm -hmm. for people that are operating outside of our communities, how do they support us and address this piece of vulnerability um, when we are trying to express that? You talked a little bit earlier about how when we do, when we try to express vulnerability, people are like, oh, well, you're just being a bitch or you're like, you're overly emotional. I got that all the time. You're too emotional. You're too sensitive. You need to take it easier. Like how do those folks start to not be so judgmental and help us and support us as we try, as we go through this process of expressing vulnerability. That's tough. It's tough. Something I've pondered myself. Um, you know, my mom was one of my biggest supporters, but even just, I was thinking about literally maybe yesterday I was saying, you know, yeah, I cried. And she's like, stop doing that. Be a man. <laughs> and she's like, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. And I was just like, you get where it's coming from the genuine right. part, but it's also kind of just like, yeah, that still hurts me as someone who is a, you know, I put on that brave front, but I'm, just like a chocolate chip cookie. I'm just crumbling on the inside. <laughs> and it's just like, how do you get everyone else to see that? And I think it's also, it's like the ripple effect. Hopefully by 
going through people just being that open and honest and being perceptive because you can be open and honest, but also be a little bit too blunt. Sure. So you want to make sure when you're sharing your vulnerability or speaking your truths, it's not coming from a place to where it's just like, here's what I feel. It's how are my words and my actions going to affect other people too. But I'm also at that middle ground where I'm speaking my truth, but I'm also not going to rip you apart either because if worlds were reversed, I'd be the one in tears. Right. So it's like by people learning to be more non-judgmental, but also being vulnerable themselves, but not too vulnerable because you also don't want to give people too much of yourself too quickly. Sure. That goes back to the inner circle. Oh, you know, he's telling me all his stuff and now I know how to play it against him. So right. it's, a, it's like a double-edged sword. And unfortunately, like that's just a journey we have to take with life and people around us. But I feel like having more people with genuine intentions that emphasize things like radical love. Sure. And as more people shine and they walk in their truths authentically, especially when it's rooted in love, I feel like that kind of like breaks down the walls of hatred and judgment. And when you, I'm all about the vibes. So if you feel those genuine vibes and you feel like it's a brave space, and that's one thing too I used to tell, mm. or I tell the teachers I train now, there's a difference between a safe space and a brave space because sure. the people of color, you know, due to colonization and our diaspora and our roots, we will never truly feel safe. Right. So how do we reach that point where the excavation and vulnerability leads to a brave space? And one thing I used to tell my fourth graders, because that's the grade I was in before I came out of the classroom, for about like four years, how do you reach the place to where, and it goes back into the question you just asked, I can speak my truth and be comfortable speaking my truth and not really giving a shit about what you were going to say whether you disagree or not, I still feel validated in speaking my truth and that validation comes within myself. I don't need to feel loved or appreciated or seen or heard by other people. I have everything myself. So when I speak, I'm speaking and I'm letting it go. And I'm not worried about, oh, I just said something that may not sound right to Patrick. So how is he going to respond? doesn't matter. I'm comfortable speaking what it is that I feel because I've done that inner work. Sure. I'm, at a point, I'm at a point where, you know, I know... I mean what I say, I'm comfortable where it's coming from, and you know we can agree to disagree, what have you, what not. That's where that vulnerability excavation piece comes into play with the healing. I'm healed enough to where I'm at a non-judgmental point where all the things people say or may say just going to fall by the wayside and I keep rising. I love that. I love defining and delineating between safe and brave. I think that's really important because I think when people think that when people hear safe space, again, another term that's become very popular over the last few years, right. I use it a lot. Um, I'm going to let this plane fly over the house. Um, when people hear safe space, they think, okay, I can just share whatever and it's going to be fine. And right. sometimes that leads to unsafety. Um, but right. also it, can sometimes discourage folks from feeling brave enough to step in and share. And mm -hmm. so like when you can, you can have both, but you, when you can get over here to this, when you can create a space that encourages and empowers people to be brave, that's a whole, no, you get to a whole nother level of being able to reach vulnerability. Um, I had something else, but I can't remember it right now. So we're going to move past that. Uh, we're going to sweep that under the rug. Um, I talked about, uh, before we went into that, I talked a little bit about how our 
men of color in these communities have to kind of model this behavior to people who are coming up, you know, the fourth graders, fifth graders, the young folks that are out there already, who I believe are already expressing more vulnerability than I ever did in the first 30 (laughs) years of my life anyways. Right. when we have found ourselves operating in the brave space, when we have found ourselves reaching these points of vulnerability and we feel comfortable enough to be able to do that, how else or how can we make sure that we are also supporting other men of color in finding their way down this path? It's hard to, especially as men of color, because we're, like, we're at this divide where you know there are those of us that are willing to do the work there's still some that are not willing to even look in the mirror and address sure. it. And I feel like a lot of it comes with outreach. It's kind of like you see someone struggling and even though they may not be responsive the first one or two times, giving them space, but also letting them know that I'm, that you're there as a resource and then as, as support. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier, how do you get to that differentiation between the safe and the brave space? For me, it was arguing with my therapist. It's just like, sure. you know, I'm sharing my stuff. But I, I've always been the kind of person where I'm kind of just like, I'm going to tell you what it is that I'm feeling. And whether you agree or not, that's your problem. And that's honestly how I started off with therapy. It was kind of just like, here's what I'm feeling. Here's why. You don't have to agree with it. But I want you to listen and acknowledge where I'm coming from. Right. And sometimes that's, I feel like the outreach is needed with that kind of piece too. It's like, all right, say you run into Angel and he's angry. You may not understand or you may think it's just dumb where he's coming from or he's upset with something that's you know s- small in your eyes mm-hmm. listening and just being there and letting them express that let them break down the walls or honestly take down the bricks one by one on their own sure and you just stand there and you listen and you hear them mm-hmm. there's a difference between listening to somebody and hearing what they say right um, I had a conversation, our first episode of last month was with Paul Lapito, and he talked about mm-hmm. the difference between listening to understand and listening to respond. And right. I think a lot of us in those moments want to have the answer, want to have a response ready, not because we're trying to be malicious in any way, but because we want to mm-hmm. help. And sometimes right. you don't have to have that. Like you can just right. listen, listen to try and understand their experience, listen to at the very least validate what they're feeling and going through just by being there and being an ear that they can, that they can lean into. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I really appreciate you sharing that because I think we don't talk about that enough either, how we want to be always ready to go with something, with something to respond with, with an answer to your problem, to be able to solve and fix you. So that way we can, I think ulteriorly be like, Oh yeah, I've helped this person so much. Like, look what I look what I did. You know, and it, like going back to that I being from that selfish context. But in that third, like if you take it and if you extrapolate out, it's well, if we're not thinking about what we're gonna say next or how we're gonna fix you, we can actually realize, oh, I don't have the answer. I don't have, I don't know what it is where we're supposed to go, but I can be here with you and I can walk with you down that path wherever it leads you. And so you right. know that you have support, you have community here when and if you need it. And I think that's really, really important. And I think you hit the nail on the head too. Like it ties back into the love piece. That's mm. when you love someone mm. unapologetically, yes. you're willing to walk with them through the ugly parts. And sometimes yes. just walking side by side and not saying them. That's all part of our journeys with healing and learning how to love ourselves. I think it really ties into self-care. Um, 
know, we talked about being there on the sidelines. One thing my grandfather used to always do was he never interrupted me when I spoke. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like I'm a very calm, cool, collective guy on the inside. But when someone interrupts me and cuts me off, I turn into like Nene Leakes from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like mm. I want to just come across the table <laughs> and just like slap the taste out of your mouth. Sure. Because I think he taught me or he gave me that love where it was, you just get it out. You say whatever it is that you're feeling and just, I'm just going to listen. And most of the time, honestly, he did. He never gave me a solution. It was never a quick fix. It was just, I want to be here for you. And that's where that genuine love comes from. That's why, like I find him as like the greatest love I've ever known. Cause even my mom still tries to give me advice. I'm like, sometimes I just want sure. you to just let me get it out. Yeah, I, 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 I'm similar in the way that if I'm trying to speak and somebody's like not interjecting with just like, mm, like, you know, like just like, oh, acknowledging what I'm saying, but like trying to get their sentence in and start their response. I'm like, hold up. I'm like, I'm not done. Like I did that pause was not a, that's not a finishing pause. So um, I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you just talking about this relationship with your grandfather, because I had a really close relationship with my grandmother in a similar way of being able to being able to speak to her. She's not interrupting me. And she's also just listening and not necessarily trying to give me a solution, but just Mm -hmm. like the unconditional love. And I feel like that is rare, even in my, even in my life where it can feel transactional because it feels like I need to do this for you so that you'll love me more or the same or like it won't change or affect our relationship and at the end of the day that's not the case it only is that case because i put that pressure on myself and then on the relationship itself to like be sustained by these transactions of love when at the end of the day it's not based on the transaction but it should be based in the love itself and so Mm -hmm. i really appreciate you talking about that because i think that's a that's a big takeaway just for me in this conversation right now is just thinking more about and being more mindful of the way that those play out and the way that I want to navigate that journey with the people and that are closest to my life. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, you are already an educator and you've done a lot of knowledge dropping today here in this conversation in a very short time. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love this show so much is because I get a chance to learn from my friends, from other folks who do different things that I've never even thought about doing. And it gives me a chance to, again, become a better person to find and uncover more of my own humanity. So that way I can operate and navigate in the community the way that I would hope that I would want to. And so that's a lot for you to do and a lot for you to teach and impart on other people. Who are you learning from right now? It's tough. Uh, it's going to sound semi-shady, but not many people. <laughs> not many people. Okay. Uh, honestly, but the people that I do, like I keep, you know, we talk about this. I keep my circle pretty small, pretty tight. Right. And I think I want, you know, I'm in, we're in our 30s and I, that's been a big switch for me. It's just like, sure. okay, I, I don't need friends. I don't need 20, 30 people that, you know, know my business or know what I'm doing. Right. I have like three or four people that I really fuck with. And I think when I think about people who share their truths, but do it in a way that's open, honest, authentic, and that inspire me, it's not many people, especially males. And I think that leads to our conversation, having more people. But when I think of people who push me uh, just across the board, whether that is addressing the ugly parts or even just inspiring me to look within, I think when it comes to my close circle. I have a really good friend, uh, Kyle Yang, who 
we have these conversations all the time. Mm. We talk all the time. We may not see each other all the time, but our conversations are similar to like what you and I are talking about right now. We're both sure. polar. So I think that's the beauty of it. But if I were thinking for like a bigger s- scale, it would be Bing Chen of you know, Gold House. I think he's yeah. one of the rarities, you know, just in men in general, um, who just openly shares their truth and does it in a way that's beautiful and authentic to himself. You can see that he's done the work that he loves himself and it has a ripple effect to the empire that he's built and is still building. That is someone I think who truly inspires me because I think a lot of what Bing's work is rooted in is his inner child, sure. his inner healing and addressing that within himself and liberating himself, which has led to the success he's had and still have. His journey is meteoric i feel like and watching gold house and everything that he's been doing and building over there is really incredible to watch and especially you know somebody who has invested so much into storytelling um not just like as a business but as like a personal means of understanding who i am like it's really really great to see and i'm hopeful and excited for the stuff that's on the horizon with them as well so being amazing um your friend Kyle too. I want to be able to check out his work and we're definitely going to link some of his stuff in the show notes too, uh, since you mentioned him. So I want to make sure that people are able to, to see his stuff and, and be able to resonate with that as well. Um, for you though, as we wrap it up, what is the best way for our community to support you? Um, I really think just like listening to my story, I guess, and just sharing it. Cause you never know even the ripple effect. Like I never sure. thought like a lot of people are like, Oh, you don't, talk about that you did a TED talk, which is something I'm learning to do slowly. I'm not someone right. who likes to brag about himself. I'm not one who's used, you know, and I think it goes back to being a person of color. We don't celebrate ourselves. And so I'm learning slowly in my thirties to <laughs> celebrate my accomplishments, whether big or small. Like I just got an award a few weeks ago and I was like, I really don't want anybody to know this. You know, like, <laughs> just like, yeah, I'll put it on my CV, but I'm not like one to, Posted in my advisory, Dr. Yolanda Sinigree, she was just like, you've got to learn to celebrate your trials and your triumphs right. and your successes. She's like, they make you who you are and share it. So I think the best way is to, you know, share my story, articles, poetry. If it resonates with you, feel free to share. You don't have to, um, you know, drop a comment, something. I had one of my kids comment on my TED Talk and I cried. He was like, this is the best thing ever. Amazing. And I was like, I never, I never showed it to him. He just Googled me. Sure. <laughs> so I think, you know, little things like that, because um, I'm a softie, that makes my day, uh, but I'm pretty much more active on, I guess if you're talking about like social media, I guess Instagram, on my Instagram handles, like um, at Mr. D. Phelps, uh, Twitter at D. Phelps 1113. Uh, yeah. So that's why I'm learning to like share my, my work. Um, the thing about me is I'm going to share the bad parts too. Sure. I'm not going to always, you're not going to see my feet and be like, Oh, he's winning at life. No, if I'm right. going through shit and I feel comfortable with sharing it, that's that vulnerability piece. I'm going to put it out there. Like right. I just posted a poem. I think I sent it to, I yes. sent it to you yes. um, where I'm like writing Korean for the first time in five years, but I'm in that poem. I'm writing to my younger self and I'm addressing my journey life. Like it hasn't been published yet. It's a deal that may be on the table, but I was like, that's what I'm feeling right now. And my work resonates, I resonate with myself. So I was like, right. I want to share this. Um, and so that's, that's what I do. It's just like, you know, I'm going to share what I'm feeling, but also have that level of respect. I'm not going to like blatantly attack somebody or say, you know, there's some kind of friction. I'm just going to address the way I feel in the most beautiful, poetic way that I can. Hoping that um, it resonates with like one person. 
amazing. And we're going to link not only your social media handles in the show notes, we're going to link all of your work, including your TED Talk. I like that you've mentioned it multiple times because we've got, we've got to get people to see it. And you got to keep talking about it more. And I agree with your with the teacher who told you that you have to celebrate your wins too, posts about those, because I had a similar situation like six months ago where I've like started to receive stuff. And I was like, I don't want to share about this. And one yeah. of my mentors was like, you need to, you should, you should share this. Like it's worth celebrating and you need to be able to celebrate your stuff too. And <laughs> at the end of the day, they were right because like, that's our full humanity. Like the good stuff that comes towards us is just as valid and necessary as the bad things that have happened to us that have led us to do the work that leads to the successes. Um, and you know, if we don't recognize, if we're not recognizing and sharing that, not that we're being braggadocious about it, but, but acknowledging it in our own way and talking about how I like this happened and it only probably would have happened if I, or because I started this, these things happened to me and I had to sit with myself. I had to excavate, then emancipate. And then now I'm here and I'm seeing the fruits of that labor be paid off because of X, Y, and Z. And so I'm hyping you up for that. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, it's funny. The reason why I keep saying that TED Talk is that people may look at my work I've had over the last few years or that comes out as this year progresses. That's my origin story. That was my mm. first time ever reading my poetry out loud was in front of mm. 3,000 people. Because I just didn't give a shit. I just wanted to right. share my story. And that was for me. That was me healing and being like, okay, I've grieved all this time. I'm letting it go. That TED Talk was my rebirth process back then so i'm learning to like share that not for the views but for like this is my journey and poetry was brought out of me more prominently from that grief and from the kids so it's like this whole 360 effect it's amazing the age that we live in with technology and the way that we can capture stuff so we can see for some of us be able to see those moments where we started to do these things. Like for my podcast, the John Chi show, like you can literally chart my, <laughs> my journey of evolution as <laughs> in my identity from episode one to now episode 137 or whatever it is like in uh, some people don't have that. Like we can't look and see, Oh, this is where Darius started. And then this is where Darius is now. We can only see where they are now. And have them share their story just orally through that oral narrative piece. And, you know, we it's a little bit of a privilege and a luxury to be able to point at some of these things. And because we have them, we should amplify them more so people can see, get that full or that more full context of who we are as people, where we were and like where we've come because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I'm glad to have that out in the world, too, because when it kind of like memorialized my grandfather, but it also mm-hmm. serves as a reminder me personally Something I haven't shared and I won't share until I finish my PhD. But after that TED Talk, I had one of the biggest downfalls of my personal, private, and professional life. So I use that as a way as a reminder, too, to keep going. Amazing. Um, That feels like a hook for a part two of this show uh, down the line once the PhD is acquired and you have moved through that journey a little bit more. So we're going to leave that cliffhanger here. Darius, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your story, your vulnerability, and for teaching us a little bit more about how we as men of color can operate and find ourselves being vulnerable and reclaiming that for ourselves. So I just, I just really appreciate it. You know, you're my friend, but it's, always feels like a huge ask for me to ask my friends to come on the show and everyone's like yeah so i really appreciate it 
No, likewise, no, man. And you inspire me too. Just hearing you and seeing your journey inspires me to keep going too. Because, you know, it's not easy for us to keep putting ourselves out there and navigating these spaces. So I'm grateful for the connection, the opportunity, and always just the love and mm. brave space for us between friends and as brothers too. You know, because that, that alone is a rarity. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an honor to know you and a privilege to know you and to be operating in those brave spaces. So I can't thank you enough. Everybody, go check out all the links in the show notes here. Go watch his TED Talk. Go check out his poetry. Check out everyone else that we've mentioned here in the show as well. You get all that in the show notes. If you want to find us and follow us, you can do so at Conversation Pod Piece on Instagram. If you feel inclined to leave a rating or review because you really love this conversation or any of the other conversations we've had, we would greatly appreciate that as well. And if you're interested in supporting the show in the future in any way, you can hop in my DMs on Instagram or visit our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Darius. <laughs>